Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. What purpose then does the law serve part? What now? I said the Old Testament focuses on the people with glimpses into the person. The New Testament focuses on the person with glimpses into the people. Right? As we see him, we're becoming him. I took time last week to emphasize that the scriptures are also beneficial for showing you what you should not learn. Do you remember that? Scriptures will show you what God is not. He Godo. See, people that misrepresented God's character in the Bible misrepresented it under inspiration. <laughs> All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That's a very key text. Therefore, whatever was captured in this document called the scriptures was captured under inspiration. Does that make sense? By the time you start to dissect and remove stuff as uninspired, then we'll have to reinterpret every text that refers to this document as scripture. And that sets a dangerous precedent. In fact, a precedent the church cannot sustain. Does that make sense? By the time we have to look at this document and establish that some part of it is likely to be scripture and is inspired, some other parts of it are not likely to be scripture and therefore should not be accepted as such. Then whenever the Bible says all scripture, the Bible is lying. Does that make sense? You have to be all scripture with the exception of some that do not appear to be inspired. <laughs> But if all scripture is inspired of giving by inspiration of God and is profitable, then it means that even what was misrepresented was misrepresented under inspiration. And if there is learning involved in the scriptures, Romans 15 and 4, it means that we can learn how not to misrepresent God by documented evidence of how he was successfully misrepresented because it is by the representation of God you can even establish a misrepresentation does that make sense so it takes an accurate representation of God to have a false representation which is a misrepresentation of God so before you, you be careful to not join people that start to denigrate the scriptures 
Your salvation, you cannot have hope for salvation if this document is rendered inaccurate. Because what it means is you can never fully know when the document is correct and when the document is wrong. And you'll be very foolish and selfish and self-conceited to conclude that it's only the bits that favor you are accurate. <laughs> Which is exactly what we're doing today. You realize that? <laughs> no, no, no. Paul cannot be wrong, Dale. He cannot. Paul cannot afford <laughs> to be wrong. It's expensive for Paul to be wrong, Dale. But when he gives a hard one, you're like, mm, you see, mm. you see, the way he's looking is that, um, you know, Paul missed it here. Then how can you be sure he didn't miss it in your eternal salvation? Tell a neighbor, don't join them. Mm. That's why we take time to teach. That's why you must be taught. Tell the other neighbor, you must be taught. You must. You must. You must be taught. You have to be taught. Otherwise, you take this document and start to, to mess with it. All scripture. Put it up. Second Timothy 3.15. All. 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 16. All scripture is given by wow. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. let's see some. Let's run through some translations. All scripture, NLT. All scripture. Another translation. Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, ruach of God, pneuma of God, ruach in the Hebrew, ruach, ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma. In the Greek, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction. The message. F oh, I like this. Every part of scripture <laughs> is God breathed. Who is the breath of God? The spirit. And the spirit breathed upon how much of the scripture? Every part. How does the Amplified put this? All scriptures God breathed, given by divine. The question now becomes inspiration unto what? And that's where you start to establish the principle that you must realize that portions of scripture are there to teach you what not to learn. Does that make sense? That, that prophets were inspired. You know, Peter says that no word of prophecy, referring to the document called the scriptures, no word of prophecy is given by private interpretation. Yeah? It says, but holy men wrote as they were moved by the spirit. Okay? All scripture. Now hear this carefully. The fact that Holy men moved as they were inspired does not mean they did not have human fallacies. 
the fact that they were holy men, holy men, holiness, by the way, I don't want to divert too much, but holiness is not, I've said it a million times, a zillion times, holiness is not a function of performance. You do nothing to be holy. You are designated holy. The microwave did not apply for a patent to heat food. The manufacturer designed the microwave with the intention to heat food. So when the microwave is commissioned for use, it is commissioned to heat food and not to dry clothes. If you are crazy like me, if you have a thinking faculty like mine, and you have a washer dryer that washes your clothes and dries them, you start to wonder, wait, if you are mischievous like me, you will ask yourself, what will happen now if I put these wet clothes in the microwave? <laughs> will it dry it? <laughs> or will it fry it? <laughs> I look forward to your praise report. See, men and brethren, the microwave exploded. <laughs> but the microwave arrives hardwired to heat up food. The white microwave is, did not apply for license to do it. By virtue of its build, by virtue of its design, it arrives hardwired to perform a particular task. Are you following me now? So holiness is a hardwiring of God in the believer because the believer has been set aside for God's glory. That's holiness. That's holiness. Kadosh. Hagios. It's holiness. Set aside, separated from, separated unto. Consecrated for a particular task. You don't make yourself holy. How can you? Because for you to make yourself holy is for you to be qualifying yourself for the assignment. But he who has qualified us is God. Giving thanks to the Father. Colossians 1.12 Who has qualified us to partake of the inheritance and the sins in light. Who qualified us? God. So who made us holy? Are you following me now? So holy does not mean necessarily flawless, not immediately. So if you buy a brand new microwave, it comes with a spare fuse. The fuse will blow. You get at least one spare fuse. Depending on what model you buy, you sometimes you get two, three fuses in a little pouch with your electric device. Now we made it, it passed the, the, the quality control, the QT, QC test. It passed the patent control test, the PC test. But we still bundled a couple of spares in case of eventualities. So the fact that holy men are called holy doesn't make them flawless. Flip side, the fact that they had flaws doesn't make them less holy. So it would be foolish 
to conclude, look at David, adulterer, took men's wives. Took that other one when kings go to war. David, what can David instruct me? You know why your foolishness will be of epic proportions? It will be that epic because the person you say saved you came from the lineage of David. You mean that by your human moralistic definitions, Jesus is a bastard. Go and check the genealogy. Jesus has the most messed up genealogy a human being can have. Jesus. Harlot followed John. Somebody whose husband died and she now remarried followed John. David, murderer, adulterer, all followed John. Go and check the lineage of Jesus. It was God showing you how light can come from darkness. Because do you know there were kings that were more morally upright than David? Dudes who were four times less his age. Joash. Joachim. Even Ahab doesn't have the evil scorecard of David. Ahab's one major misfortune was Jezebel. That's, that's, that's his singular misfortune. Was that his husband was Jezebel. Yes, that's right. Ahab was queen. <laughs> Jezebel was king. Ahab didn't intimidate Elijah at all. Jezebel asked, Elijah ran away and hid. What does that tell you? Somebody can shut heaven for three and a half years. One man. One man gathered 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and killed them at Mount Carmel. One man. After calling down fire from heaven, one woman coughed, he ran. Okay, you hadn't thought about it before. I see. But does he give you perspective now? One man, 850. One man caught all of them and killed them. Slew them. Called fire from heaven. Poked his nose, his face in Ahab's eye. Shut down the heavens. They called him, his nickname was Troubler of Israel. And all Jezebel said is, Woe to me. If by the end of today, I don't make Elijah like those 850 prophets. Elijah took off. That is why, fun fact, fun fact, that's why she is the only woman that has a spirit named after her. <laughs> you realize that? If you go to Revelation, you will now see that as much as Jezebel was a woman, Jezebel was a system of spirits. Just like Babylon was a city and an empire, but it's also a system of spirits. The cosmos system of this world is named after Babylon. 
So here Babylon, Babylon is falling. It's not referring to the place in Iraq. Current modern day Iraq. Jezebel was the spirit. That was Ahab's worst misfortune. Marry well. Tell tell your neighbor, marry well. It's a major life decision. Who you pitch your tent with. Can make or marry you. And that was Ahab's misfortune. Sister Jesse. And Jesus could have easily been plugged into the lineage. Listen, all it needed to be was somebody from Judah's lineage. Since we have to retire the Aaronic priesthood, we know that, okay, Jesus could not have come from the tribe of Levi. That would have been a problem. It would have been a problem to say the law is, is put away when our high priest now comes from Levi. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> there will be a problem. How then are you implying that Levi is not relevant anymore? When our high priest forever, who lives forever, comes from Levi, it means Levi lives forever. You can't talk about retiring his priesthood. So all we needed is just to ensure that whatever tribe Jesus will come from, just not from Levi. Okay, he has to come from Judah because, you know why he had to come from Judah? Because the prophecy had gone ahead that uh, the scepter would not depart from Judah. Now the Lord gave her from among their midst. That was the prophecy that preceded Jesus. That now let us know, one, Jesus will not be just from, he will not be from Levi. But, not only will he not be from Levi, he cannot be from any other tribe apart from Judah. So, first of all, prophecy eliminates him from Levi. But then prophecy also ties him to Judah. So now that we have zeroed in on the tribe of Judah, why did it have to be from Obed's lineage? Why? Because the omniscient God would have known that, oh boy, David will wreak havoc. Okay. David was a man after God's own heart. Okay. So now we have now gotten David. Why not pass through any of his legitimate wives? The one Saul gave you. Mm -mm. Nabal's wife, Abigail. Mm -mm. All the other wives. Mm -mm. The dirty one. The one that is not a wife. The one who had the stigma attached to her. Look at her. Uriah died in the battlefront fighting for a king who stayed in the palace. And then no sooner has his corpse gone cold in the ground than have you moved into the king's bed. Can you imagine the stigma Beersheba would have had to deal with? Imagine the stigma. Imagine the trauma. Imagine the persecution. Look at you. You see, we are looking at you. That's what David tried to mitigate when she said she was pregnant. He quickly calculated gestation period. Anything between 29 to 38, 40 weeks can fly. So go and bring Uriah quickly. Getting drunk. Make him sleep with his wife. Once we introduce him having slept with his wife in any of this four to six week period, we are good. So even if she gives birth full term, we can say, well, she just gave birth four weeks or six weeks early. 
You can't beat us. At least the math will show that at one point or the other, she was with her husband. Smart dude. In Portsmouth, gets him drunk, as drunk as he was. In his drunken state, he still said, why shall I go and sleep with my wife when the armies of the Lord are in the battlefield? He slept at the king's gate. David was like, oh God. Oh God, what do I do now? David writes Uriah's death sentence and gives it to Uriah. To take it to a guy that David doesn't have to talk twice to. <laughs> By the name of Joab. Joab, his brother Abishai, those ones, no, 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 no. Before David is thinking it, they've done it. They were fighting Philistines. And all David needed to see was, ah, I'm thirsty. Joab and his brother flew through the Philistine camp to where the well was. Killed a hundred Philistine soldiers just to bring water for David to drink. The Bible says David poured out the water before the Lord. He says, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. No. This, this is bloody water. I can't, I can't drink this. Joab. And he's the commander of the army. And Uriah takes his own death sentence to, to Joab. And here's the, the, the sentence. When the battle is hottest, all of Israel's army withdraw, leave only Uriah in front. So when the archers, you watch epic movies, when the archers release their arrows, they will all come upon Uriah. Joab read it and said, be it unto him according to thy word. Battle was fierce. Imagine giving a signal to 10,000 or 40,000 people and only one person did not know. They probably sent him to go and fetch water. And they told everybody else, this is what the king has said. I'll give you a sign, you pull back. Nobody snitched. Nobody broke ranks. And as soon as the battle became hot, Joab issues that pre-agreed signal. The entire army pulls back. Uriah finds himself suddenly alone. The archers release. And he goes down. As soon as he goes down, David carries Beersheba and puts in his house. Beersheba moves in. She's pregnant. Illegitimate bastard child. God is pissed. But I thought it's your plan. God is angry. Nathan comes, the prophet. Say, ah, king, I've come to tell you a story. Somebody had a vineyard, had plenty sheep, and then his neighbor had only one lamb. He got a visit from a far country, and then he that had plenty sheep went and took the one that had one lamb and killed it and gave to his guest. What do you think should be done to that person? David said, Ah, Alu. Can somebody do such a thing? See, he'll be made to pay. 
Because he has no pity. He will pay fourfold. He will still give you his life. But he will still pay for such nonsense. How can you do such evil? Peter said, oh, hey, oh king. You are that man. I love scripture. So you are that man. Now you're going to tell you about king. You're not to go. They say, oh, I'm the man. Oh, please, atone to the Lord for me. I've seen. As soon as I said I've seen, Nathan said, God has forgiven you too. So, so really, Nathan came to announce forgiveness of sin. Because it did not take God by surprise. The Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. So, uh, so what did Nathan call that story? It was just small musica. The Lord has put away your sin. Oh, that's actually what I came to tell you. He has put away your sin, you will not die. The child, the child died. The child was sick. David starts to pray, sackcloth and ashes. Save the child, save the child, my love child. The child dies. As soon as the child dies, David washes his face. Dresses well, enters the court. The child has died. He's, 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 and then immediately, Beersheba gets pregnant. Solomon. Adonijah is supposed to be king after David. But no. But you see, this starts with David. It starts with Adonijah. David's elder brother, Eliab, was supposed to be anointed. Not David. God tells Samuel, Arise, go to Jesse's house. I will tell you who to anoint. Samuel gets there with experience. Sees Eliab, he said, Ah, firstborn. David, Samuel said, and I quote, Surely this is the one. I will arise, King James, and anoint him. God rebuked him. That's why they were upset when they saw David at the, at the battlefront. They have come again. They have come again. What's your problem? And we came to shine in the battlefield. Chase you, they put oil on. Who have you left the sheep before? That's what they asked him. Son one, son two, son three, son four, son five, son six. God chose none. And that in itself is story I'll teach another day. Because you see, Samuel's prophetic ministry failed six times. So the failure of a man of God doesn't make him less a man of God. Story for another day. Six set straight failure. Surely this is the one I will. No. Surely this six times in a row. His prophetic inaccuracy was tested six times and six times it failed. And yet he was God's man. So you see, the effectiveness of God's man is not measured by the few quantity of his failures. Is part of the scripture. 
You think God did not know that Samuel will get it wrong six times in a row and still sent him and not any of the sons of the prophets who had sharper hearing? And that's the same person that God knew will fail six times that God kept calling until he said, speak, Lord. God was interested in the same someone that he knew will fail him six times. And still kept calling until Eli taught him how to decipher the voice of God. And after, after he learned the voice of God and began to represent God, had the high place in Gilgal, he was God's oracle, no doubt, no doubt. But six times in a row, he failed ministry. Six times he said, God said, God didn't say what failure can be worse than that? And God is there patiently sat in Jesse's house waiting for Samuel to finish failing. So we can do business. God doesn't get in the way of Samuel's failure. God doesn't say to him, my friend is not the second, he's the sixth. Leave all these ones and choose the sixth. God kept his mouth shut. And God allowed Samuel play out his humanity. Six, remember six, six, six. No water at Jacob's well. His humanity, six. God sits down. One. Two. Three. I mean, you'd have thought that if since God is so merciful, you'd be like, come on, Samuel, stop embarrassing yourself. Ask for the other one that is not here. Not God. Six straight sets of failure with no success in between as a consolation prize. So you see, you haven't failed enough, sir. You haven't failed enough to rule yourself out of God's will for your life. You haven't failed enough to be cancelled as a son of God. You simply haven't failed enough. Where is God when I'm failing? He's right there. Right there. How else will you know that he's with you at all times if you don't have some failures to your name? In which he was. If he's not in the failure, then he's not there at all times. <laughs> there has to be some failure times that he's right there with you in the midst of six times this humanity manifested and God was right there patient and after the sixth one someone would have said to God now what now what I'm done here there's none left. It was number seven. Ask him. These are all his sons. These are all his sons. Ask him. Oh yeah, there's, there's one left. Now send for him. For we shall not sit until he comes. And there comes David. Not the first. Not the best. <laughs> and it shows up they're ruddy rough on the edges 
God said, that's the one. Arise and anoint him. After the whole gamut of, he's not the one. It's not the one. It's not the one. God knew. And didn't intervene. Because your humanity must come through its full circle for the grace of God to be fully manifest in your life. You see, the fact that human beings are intimidated when you're going through doesn't mean God is. Have you noticed that it's only human beings to whom your past matters? Only human beings. We can't seem to see you any different than what, where you've been. What you've done. I can't. And then they picked David. So it's not new when with David's own sons Adonijah escaped. Amnon escaped. Absalom had to be skipped. But And everybody's distracted by Adonijah's story. And everyone's distracted by Absalom's rage. And everyone's distracted by Amnon's failure. And that gives Solomon time to grow and cut his teeth and be ready in God's plan. Nobody is thinking about the son of the illegitimate wife. Nobody. There's no plan of the throne. <laughs> no, no. What am I talking about? Who will inherit David? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Not that kid. Not Beersheba's bastard boy. And then God tells David, Your son will have an everlasting kingdom. And David thinks the son is Solomon. Your son will build me a house. He thinks again that son is Solomon. And Jesus comes from the light lineage of Ness. Trace Obed's lineage. It goes to Rahab. Quintessential harlot. Boaz's blood that brings about Obed has Gentile mix in it. Moabites. Moab and Edom, the two tribes and nations that God kept warning Israel about. But how would you understand that God has a plan for Gentiles if he doesn't mix Gentiles? How else would you have, what other confirmation do you need that God is mindful of Gentiles? If not that a Gentile is among his grandmothers. For God foreseeing that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. Foreseeing. So we throw a Gentile in the mix. Or two. Or three. Because Rahab was a Gentile as well.
And if Jesus was to run for politics today, he has a very bad social pedigree. Yeah, his family is messed up. And that's your savior of the world. They look at him and say, Jesus, who is he? Anything good? So holy men wrote as they were inspired. Doesn't mean they didn't have fallacies. It would be unwise to reduce the integrity of scripture to the failure of the writers. Are you listening to me? To be unwise to reduce the integrity and the efficacy of the scriptures to the failure of the writers. And then of all the people that God decides to show Jesus the most, David. Even more, Isaiah was so obedient that Isaiah preached naked for God seven years. Naked. Uncovered. So Israel can see how uncovered they are. Seven years, and everybody insulted Isaiah and thought he had lost it. Because the last time somebody was that naked was Nebuchadnezzar. Discredited his prophetic ministry. And yet, yet, Isaiah didn't see as much of Jesus. Hosea marries, oh God, Goma. I don't even have words right now to describe Goma. And the children they start to give birth to. Jezreel, Loruhama, Loami. Are not accepted, forsaken, not loved. And then she leaves and goes back to sleep with a man and camp there as his concubine. And Hosea has to go and pay money to the man that stole his prostitute wife. Imagine now if Hosea was your under shepherd. Your pastor. You say, ah, oh, God forbid, I've left that church. But I, was, I was never in that church. No, never. No. No. Try in that church. I just used to learn that music was okay, you know. I just, even the music was like it was very, very nice like that. So, you know, it, just, it was all right. I just used to go and just, just see. But no, 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 I'm better than that. And for all that effort, how I many he sees and writes things? You're not expected to be David. That's seen as much as he saw. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, David. They will look upon him who they pierce, David. They cast lots for my garment, David. Not a bone of his body was broken. David. You will not suffer my soul to stay in Sheol, my body to see corruption. David. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbat. David. He who dips his hand in the bread with me. David. He was given for me for food. David. He was buried. Among the rich, made his bed with the lowly and the wicked, David. 
What is man that thou art mindful of him? As Hebrews says, David. So his flaws didn't cancel out his calling as holy. Holy men spoke as they were inspired. So we can't look at the scriptures and start to denigrate them because the writers were flawed. That the writers were flawed doesn't make the narrative flawed. How many journalists do you know their lifestyle before you read the news? Why haven't you investigated your newscasters before you receive their news? Christians are very foolish. How much do you know about your favorite newscasters on CNN and BBC? How much do you know about your channel's presenters? What matters to you is does the news check out? Is the news accurate? BBC, Al Jazeera, Voice of America, CNN, that is true. By the time two, three, four reputable news outlets take it. You just say, oh, pause. He was on Guardian. It was on punch. Who wrote it? You don't know. And most times you don't care. The outlet is what verifies the news. Talk to me here today. Ah, I saw it on CNN. Who wrote it? You don't know. I saw it on BBC. You don't know. Most times you don't know who the writer is. How much less the researcher. Because you know, the newscasts are just sitting in the studio and they're nice and cute. Reading what has been fed to them by the programming guys who have received it from the researchers in the field. Now what do you know about how many times they've been married and divorced? What do you even care? And then it's Jeremiah's time. So let's look at it critically. Look at it. Be careful what you take off. See. They were flawed. Doesn't make the scriptures flawed. And their flaws were documented for instruction. I just showed you now Samuel and his six ministerial failures in a row. The flaws were documented. Not for duplication. But for instruction in righteousness. Are you following me now? So even where they misrepresented God, such misrepresentations would have happened where? In the remit of their human failing. Does that make sense? Somebody loves God. Check these guys now. See what happens when their, their humanity intertwines with their ministry. See what happens. Isaiah starts from chapter 1. What is this? I read Isaiah see. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Tyre. Woe to you, Isaiah starts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Ta, 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 ta. Woe, 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 woe. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, the train of Israel filled the temple. Da, 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 the they just cried holy. And I said to myself, Woe is me. That's where the woes stopped in Isaiah. Straight up, somebody who had been prophesying accurately suddenly said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among the people of unclean lips. He received humility and sense. The moment his humanity encountered God's divinity. 
Start from verse 1. Isaiah 6. Beautiful. Beautiful. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And by the way, please, please, men of God or men of God will tell you there was a priest. Uzziah was a principality that needed to die for Isaiah to see the Lord. Nonsense! So he killed every Uzziah. No! Scripture did not say God killed Uzziah. It was just a reference to time. Simple reference. Remember when I wore that shoe to go for that interview? It's not the shoe that gave you the job. It's just a reference so those of us that know the shoe will remember the incident around the shoe. Does that make sense? So people that know the time around Uzzah died can identify with how and when Isaiah saw the Lord. Full stop. So we don't have to say in the year 1433 BC. Do you remember when Uzzah died? There was that time, that around that time that I saw the Lord. Simple. Scripture says nothing beyond that. Don't read into scripture what it doesn't say. That's ACGCs. Reading into scripture what it doesn't say. As accurate students of the word, we are called to practice exegesis. Reading out of scripture what it has already said. We exegete the scriptures. Are you learning anything? In the year King Uzzah died. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. That was not the year the Lord moved onto the throne. High and lifted up on the train of his robe, filled the temple. Verse, next verse. Above its two seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, is a lot of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, hey, who is me? For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Next verse. One of the seraphim flew to me. Look at this. Having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. Mm-hmm. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah saw the Lord. What did he receive? Purging of sin. Not the judgment and the undone, I am woe. Nonsense. What are you saying? Your sins are purged. My friend, shut up and stop saying your. I'm undone. Motiku. I've seen the Lord, oh, what follows is death. Shut up. You are cleansed. You can see taken away. The sin purged. No blood yet. No cross yet. No sun yet. But yet the character of God is made manifest when a man tried to misrepresent him in his own human weakness. Are you learning anything? Because it was Isaiah's own sense of inadequacy that made him postulate that now that you have seen God, you are going to die. In, in that sense. Angels you are afraid of. Come and minister to you from the Lord. Forgiving of sin. So if you read that and stop, you can lead a prayer point and say, let's pray, we are undone. And you miss the very next verse. That God instantly corrected Isaiah's misrepresentation of him. Because it only happened in Isaiah's 
moment of momentary weakness. And even that moment of weakness is recorded by inspiration. So you can know that when you are saying, Yekba, I've encountered God, you can tell that God never designs to kill you. Supernatural encounters are not what a believer should be afraid of. The supernatural is natural to a believer. It's our default state is where we operate. We don't get into the spirit. Are you listening to me? You can't see God and be afraid. You can't. You can't. It's our natural default state. God is not doing anything special by showing you himself. It's not. It's not. God is not showing you himself in answer to your prayer. In Koinonia, that you may have fellowship, 1 John 1 and 2, that you may have fellowship with us as our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. It's fellowship, communion. God doesn't intend to show up so you can run and hide under a chair. You have not come to a, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire. God comes, you run to the corner. No! That's an Adamic nature. I heard the sound of your voice in the garden, so I run and heed. Sons of the second Adam don't run from their father. They come boldly. Boldly. You run from God. That's the Adamic nature. hear his sound, you run away. You have a problem. Because you're not, you, don't, you don't understand the privilege of hearing the sound of God. If you heard the, if God allowed you to hear his sound, it's so that you can reach him. Yeah, if he wanted to kill you, he would first of all deafen you to his sounds. You hear him coming until he has run over you. Think about it. God intends to mess you up. You're going to hear him coming. Someone like that, someone like, like the wind. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Comes with stealth mode. You will just, before you know what's happening, you will wake up to find you are dead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what I'm saying now? You wake up to realize you're dead. But if God allows you to hear his sound, it's because it's a sound of life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ah, this is good. Yes, and so running away from God is the Adamic nature. The desire to see God. Vision. It was a vision, remember? Because where Uzziah died and where he saw God are not the same location. Before you're saying, no, but I thought you said no one can see God. Visions. Even Paul did not see Jesus. Vision. He said, I will come to visions in a moment. That's how that chapter starts. Second Corinthians 12. He said, I will come to dreams and visions in a moment. So how did, how did Paul see God in the third heaven? Vision. Make sense? So what, what did Paul start to talk about when he saw what his mouth could not utter? Visions and revelations. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what did Isaiah see? Vision. Right? Caught up in a vision. And so God constantly corrects that misrepresentation with Isaiah. Because if God hadn't done that in the next verse... What we would have had is a document that validates feeling like you are wooed when you have encounters with God or the God kind of encounters. 
I'm a sinner. He's, that's why he's coming to cleanse you. That's his job. That's his job. It's the dirt that should fear the hypo. Not the other way around. What's wrong with you? And so all through scripture you see representations and miss representations of God. Are you learning anything? I remember mentioning that in the Old Testament God will give us. Last week. In the New Testament, God has given us. Let me give you one example. Isaiah 53 and 7. Actually, just give me first, verse 5. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He hadn't died yet. But you see, oh my God. From chapter 6, when Isaiah starts to see the Lord, perspective starts to line up. He saw, he saw the Lord in chapter 6. By chapter 7, the Lord starts to speak and tells him in verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. And bear a child. This is just a chapter after he starts to see the Lord. By chapter 8, Isaiah gives birth to his own son. Some people argue is Emmanuel. I beg to differ. Because that was expressly Matthew comes and says, this was done to fulfill what was said a virgin will conceive. It, Matthew tied it exclusively to Isaiah 7.14. Some people argue that Isaiah had his own son called Emmanuel. I have not seen re- evidence of that. If I, if I do, I will let you know. I'm happy to be wrong. It's a theological argument. Some of you have come across it that the virgin was referring to Isaiah. But if it was a virgin, it would have meant that Isaiah already had a child by a woman he never slept with and a woman who never slept with anybody else. I understand that in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew word for virgin, I've explained this in one of the teachings I did recently. Hebrew word for virgin just means a young lady of marriageable age. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean somebody who has never had sex before. I've said this before. However, looking at the indices, looking at all the indicators surrounding the birth of Jesus, it was clear that Mary had never been with a man. That's why Joseph was shocked. Because that word can mean both a lady of marriageable age as well as one who had never had sex before. In the context of Isaiah 7, it will beg us to interpret the word virgin as a lady of marriageable age. Not a lady who has never had sexual relations because if it was a lady who had never had sexual relations and already gives birth to a child called Emmanuel and curds and honey shall he eat and he not we will not be weaned off before these things come upon the people that King Ahaz was fighting with in Isaiah 7. Uh, then it will mean that somebody else had been a virgin and had given birth to a son before Jesus, which will mean that the sign of Jesus is not exclusive, which will mean that Jesus is the second type and not the prototype. I'm a very systematic theologian. You, you, you have to be careful with certain things so you don't model up something. 
Therefore, on the balance of probabilities, I cannot safely conclude that the child born to Isaiah, who has a long name, I cannot remember right now, Isaiah 8 and 2 or 3, cannot be the same as the Emmanuel that was prophesied. Does that make sense? Even though the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, was a sign to Ahaz in, in yeah, try, try, keep trying. So now, see, Isaiah says here that he went to the prophetess, not to a virgin. He went to her will imply he got her pregnant. That could not be then the virgin. Now the confusion is that the word Emmanuel is used in 714. Emmanuel simply means God with us. It doesn't necessarily mean a name that is, oh Holy Spirit help me, why am I even here? I like to teach and, and clear gray areas because I, like I, like I like to answer or preempt questions in your heart. Okay, Emmanuel, the, the way names work in the scriptures, Emmanuel was not a name as much as it was a description. That's why Jesus never answered the name physically Emmanuel. Did you realize that? Mary did not name him Emmanuel. Joseph did not name him Emmanuel. Anna, the prophetess who handled him, did not name him Emmanuel. Simeon, the prophet who handled him, did not name him Emmanuel. He was not christened Emmanuel because Emmanuel was more of a description than an appellation. Does that make sense? Is the same principle applied again in chapter 9, Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful. You never go anywhere where they say, oh, wonderful of Nazareth. Yeah, wonderful Christ. You know, Mr. Christ of, of Nazareth. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of these were descriptions of what his nature will constitute. Are you following now? So the, the, the thing is, you, you go, ah, but his name was called Emmanuel now. But then when he said Emmanuel in, in 714, he says, curds and honey shall he eat. But Jesus did not eat curds and honey. Because the child being referred to there was referring to Isaiah's son. That he will have by a woman of marriageable age. That chapter 8 explains to you is a prophetess. That Isaiah slept with and put in the family. And then the son that they gave birth to is now given a physical name. Yes. That dude, brother M. But you see that. Son could have also been referred to as Emmanuel because Emmanuel simply was a description for God being with us. And the son that was promised to Isaiah that came in chapter 8 was as an assurance because if you go and read chapter 7, Ahaz is not sure whether God will deliver them or not. So he now wants to test God. And God says, test me. Then Ahaz now says, I'm not testing you again. God now gets angry. Why not testing me again? Okay, me, I will test you. This is, this is the sign you receive. Everyone will give birth to a child. Emmanuel, who eat curds and honey, he will not have been weaned before the things I promised you will come upon the enemies of Israel will come. So Emmanuel was a description, God with us, which had immediate contextual application. Israel was under siege, they needed reassurance, a child was going to be born as a sign that God is with them. It doesn't mean that that child was Jesus. Even though that also had a messianic connotation. Yes, 
Which is how we, that's why we are learning now how to handle the Old Testament. Even though its dispensation is gone. You have to learn it or else it will mess you up. Does that make sense? So, the confusion is that this, he said it's in Emmanuel. But when Jesus is now born and his name's Jesus, Yeshua, Matthew says that this is in fulfillment to the prophecy that a virgin shall conceive. So what ties it now to Jesus? The, the fact that an actual virgin conceived by the Holy Ghost, not by the one Isaiah went into. Yes, 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 yes. Do you understand? <laughs> because in chapter 8, you see that the woman did not give birth by herself. She gave birth prophetically, prophetically by the prophet. <laughs> not by the spirit. <laughs> Prophetic baby, yes, absolutely. By the time a prophet and a prophetess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What shall comfort is prophetic. Mm -hmm. Just don't. The Holy Spirit has only ever been responsible for one pregnancy. Don't come and tie another baby. So the Holy Spirit, I did not father. That's Isaiah. Because the prophet went into her. I'm saying this to clarify this. Point I'm making is by chapter seven. Isaiah, by, he starts to seek the Lord from chapter six. By chapter 7, is quickly becoming messianic. By chapter 8, his own son is born. Brother M. Yes, by chapter 9, Isaiah knows that Pekin is not the savior of the world. Because by 9, he said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of that person's government, there shall be no end. Clearly, he's not talking about Brother M. Does that make sense? And it quickly starts to grow. Quickly starts to get more mezzanine by 47, 48, 50, 53. Full-blown mezzanine. Full-blown. By 61, it's clear. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed us exactly what Jesus quoted in Luke 4. So you see, you can't just, can just go and read one verse. And think you know the Old Testament. Or read one chapter. No, it's a full-blown narrative, consistent narrative. All revelation points to one central theme, Jesus. Oh. So by 53, he's speaking. I said Old Testament tells you what we'll have. New Testament tells you what we have. By 53, but he was wounded by our transgressions, talking in the futuristic sense. What will happen? But he's talking about what will happen in the sense that it has happened. And it's only in past tense now because in eternity it has happened. In time it hasn't. But it's time that is late. <laughs> Does that make sense? Time in the, in, the, in the eternal plan of God, time is always trying to catch up to eternity. The lamb was slain when? Great, before time began. It would take another 6,000 years, we believe in the young earth theory, before Jesus was slain. Millions, hundreds of millions, billions of years, if you believe in the gap theory. 
If you believe the earth is 6,000 years old or going 8,000 years old, young earth theory. If you believe that all the fossils that are billions of years old by proven carbon dating came about in this earth the way that the earth came about. <laughs> you have not heard this argument before. Uh, you see, this is not the season to be ignorant of. There's so much information to come into that helps your processing of the gospel. Listen, you walk with God in, in certain strides. You'll appreciate science, art, humanities, and philosophy. It broadens your knowledge base. So when I hear people saying, oh, I like this person. This person is very intelligent. This person is very smart. I look at you, what, are, what is smart? What are you calling smart? That somebody can talk without accent. That somebody is very clean. Always well presented. Always makeup on her lips. Smartness is not in presentation. And it's not in sounding deep. In fact, how you know a person that is loaded is in the simplicity of their excellence and their delivery. We're not trying to impress you. You don't have to twist our accent to make, to make an impression. Sit with us five minutes. I don't try and put up a face and try and, try and be. Most times people that do like that, they are empty. And they don't want you to know because they, they know. And they know that once they drop this for card, they ain't got nothing. So people that can't be themselves actually don't know as much as they think they do. Ouch. Mm -hmm. People that can't be themselves don't know as much as they think they do. That's what they're afraid. I want to see who I really am. You realize there's not much to me. I already feel like there's not much to me anyway, so let me try and disguise that by making it look like there's much to me. I've always told you in this house, inferiority complex always disguises itself as... Thank you very much. So you can't be in this era and not know stuff. You are carrying a mobile phone around and all you are seeing is memes and reels. And TikTok. Snapping chat. Filters. Now guys are doing it too. And the world around you is changing at such an alarming rate. You have no clue. You are living under a rock. And you have internet. You say you are a son of God, but dead. So if you start to argue, you can't argue, you can't argue for what you believe. Come and drag you and your God, you have no clue. The gospel is not for dollars. Christ is unto us the wisdom, so force of God. The problem with Christianity is that it is, it is okay until we start telling you that it should change you. Let me be a servant in the church. Let me join a department. Let me sow. It doesn't matter what you tell me to sow. First fruit, second fruit. If you want it, I'll give you. You want me to redeem my last one that I've not given back to? I will redeem it. How much more first born? I'll redeem myself every year if I need to. 
Give me a department. Give me small power in church. Give me a sense of purpose. And then make up for where my society and my government has failed. Just tell me that everything will be okay even if it is a lie. And you have my attention, you have my devotion. Just don't tell me that what I'm hearing should change me. And we're happy to play church. As long as it's not demanding a revolution from you. The moment we start to teach you what should change you and inform your culture, the entire setup gets worried. And so you are, intim- you are indoctrinating them and making it about you. Because we are actually inspiring actual change. Yes, yes. We are inspiring actual culture. And that intimidates people. Because the, the gospel is a lifestyle for the believer. Uh, we learn that in the Christ conscious believer. So I, that's why I take my time and teach you stuff. That's why I'm, almost, I'm always reading. Always. I ain't got no time to waste. Sometimes I pack the car and read. So by the time I get home, there's something else to read. So the young earth, you, you already believe that. You know what? The earth is like this. Everything that is billions of years old by carbon dating, which is an actual science. Um, God put it like that. So it can look like that. Gap theory, theology tells you that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there's a gap that could have lasted billions of years. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-2, now the earth. In the beginning, now the earth. And theologians will tell you that between in the beginning and now the earth was without form and void, billions of years transpire. So Genesis 1-1 supposedly is a, is a complete creation account by itself. And then Genesis 1-3 starts to become a recreation account. And there's good plausible reasons to argue that. Like choices of the word let there be. Or mean permit or allow or cause to happen again. Don't ask me which of the theorists I am. I'm saved and sanctified. <laughs> My sins are forgiven. I'm sealed with the promised Holy Ghost. For the day of redemption, God ain't leaving me here, repenting for me. That's all that matters, baby. The rest of it is just the science of theology. That's something I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by the science of theology. Not just the philosophy of theology, but the science of theology. How theology actually functions scientifically and rationally, logically. That's what makes you able to stand as an apologetic. It's not just Bible you know. Yeah. <laughs> you understand the scientific workings of the things in scripture. Do you know how many years it took me to convince myself where Israel actually crossed the Red Sea? <laughs> you go there and you see things and like, no, this doesn't add up to what scripture says. You're standing there looking at it and you say, it cannot be. You look at the map, it is not right. There's like six different maps from when they left Goshen to when they got across the promised land, across the source. No, no, something. Where is this place? Red Sea or Reed Sea? Yeah, it's a thing. Marshlands or actual Red Sea? How many miles from Megiddo until they crossed? 
And I'll keep my mouth shut until I read and read and read everything. And me and the Spirit will go, Holy Spirit, you must explain this one to me. So I, I ain't going to believe nonsense. Me, Alexander Victor, God forbid. God knows. God, God knows. God knows. I won't, I won't believe nonsense about God. Faith is not at all blind. Ha! Huh. Faith is well informed, heavily equipped. That's why it stands with good footing. No, I don't say I believe because it's cliche. What are we doing? Wasting precious time chasing shadows. No. If scripture is real, it must pass the test of the theology and the science. We investigate the scriptures. It's okay. I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated by the science of theology. Sounds interesting, right? Yes. <laughs> Sun, stand still! The moon, stay there in that valley. And how that altered orbit and gave us a leap year. The Bible says it, yes, science ratifies it. Do you know how many centuries scientists have argued the earth is flat, the earth is round, the earth is flat, the earth is round. Just because they refuse to read the scriptures. It's in the scriptures. And guess who tells you the, the statistics? God himself. The progenitor of all science. Have you seen the science in your body? Your human anatomy. Do you know how many miles of wiring is in your body? <laughs> the most complicated wiring that ever exists is that in the human body. How many nerves are involved in your frown? How many nerves involved in your smile? How your body sends signals and processes everything. God, He is science. Every scientist is trying to catch up. Every. Every. And so time is late. Eternity is older. Even eternity past is older than time to come. So Isaiah will write, he was wounded. All, all I've said is to explain to you what I'm trying to explain to you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He's now speaking about what has happened in eternity and is done. He's waiting to manifest in time, so he speaks of it as done in eternity, even though it's not yet happened in time. And so your hope should be that if somebody who has seen glimpses of God can say that what is about to happen has happened, then I might as well rest in the assurance that it has happened. He was, but it hadn't happened yet. When the four transgressions, bruised for iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Somebody say, we are healed. Say we are healed. We are healed. 
and we see on this side of the cross, we are not healed. We were healed. <laughs> so when you quote Isaiah 53 and 5, you must have in the front of your mind 1 Peter 2.24. In the Old Testament, we will have. In the New Testament, we have. Who himself bore, 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 beard. Yeah? You know when you bear something, the past tense of bear is bore. Yeah? <laughs> like past tense of tear is tore. Hmm? <laughs> Who himself bore our sins. In his own body, don't get me started on there, on the tree that we, having died, again, past tense, to sins, ah, 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 that's a very, very serious statement, having died to sins. Because Romans 6 said, how can we who are dead to sin live in it any longer? (laughs) Having died to sins, let's stay here. Might live for righteousness by whose stripes the tense changes. As subtle as it is, it makes all the difference. By whose stripes you were healed. Which is to say, you ain't gonna get no fresh healing today. Mm-hmm. Just like I know you don't want to hear it. Some of you not in this room, hopefully. But you ain't going to get no fresh forgiveness of sin today. I will keep saying it until the church understands it. I will keep shouting it. Because for your sins to be forgiven, blood must be shed. We cannot say, Father, forgive my sins when there is no sacrifice on the ground. Can't say that. If God will forgive sin today, we must kill a perfect sacrifice today. So God combined it all. Isn't that the next verse of Isaiah 53, verse 6, I think? And God has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. That's why it pleased God to bruise him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Once and for all time. So now Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father. Waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. So far, only one enemy is left. According to 1 Corinthians 15. When we are glorified, then it will be said, Death, where is your sting? Because that testimony wasn't for Jesus alone. It was for Jesus as the first fruit. Make sense? So by whose stripes you were healed means that when you need healing in 2040, you'll be going back to 2040 years ago to pick the healing that was bought for you then. You see what I mean? Your forward journey is a backward journey to the future. (laughs) 
<laughs> you are going back to what has happened to arrive at where you are going. <laughs> so when you need healing, what are you doing? Taking what has already been given to you. Because by his stripes you were. So if you go into the Old Testament and you start looking for what exists in the Old as a promise, you shall change yourself because in the New Testament it mostly exists as a reality. Are, are you getting this? So you now go to the Old Testament and now go to Chronicles and say, Ah, Father, as Jabez prayed. And God is like, Excuse me, I am broke. Where do you want to get blessing from to give you? And you ask God, where's all the blessing? You have it, silly. I gave it all to you. Thanks be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1:3 is the answer to Jabez's prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ according as verse 4 according as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Second Peter one three. According as his divine power has given us, his divine power has given us. So you can't be going to a testament looking for what the replacement testament has delivered to you. The replacement testament has given you every blessing the Old Testament promised you. You just shall like to suffer. That's your problem. That's, that's your problem. You like to suffer. According as his divine power has given us. And if God ever gave you anything, it's free. Romans 8, 32. If God did not spare his own son, Romans 8, 32, but gave him up for us, how shall he not along with him freely? TPT 82. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. Greatest treasure. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, the message. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst, by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't? And 
So Paul will look at the Corinthian church and tell them confidently in chapter 6, I believe, of 1 Corinthians, all things are yours. He says it the first time in, I think, in chapter 2, when he's dealing with Apollos and Peter and, 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 and Cephas and, 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 and Paul. He says, was Paul crucified for you? He says, all things are yours. All things are yours excludes nothing. And he said, all things will be yours. All things are yours. Are yours. Deuteronomy 28 comes and reels out these wonderful things in the first 12 verses. Spends the next 48 telling you what will happen to you if, you're, if you disobey. And then you get to the comfort of scriptures in Romans 5 and realize that obedience and disobedience were about two men. Yeah. So the Old Testament focuses on what you would have. The New Testament focuses on what you have, what he has given us. Is this clear? And so every, every now and then in the Old Testament you'll see glimpses of what was given. You can identify with that. Make sense? I'll take one more. And <laughs> Man. Wow. Hmm. A lot of times in, in the Old Testament, when it's quoted, I put here, it's quoted in reference to a fulfilled prophecy. When the Old Testament is quoted in the New, f first of all, I, 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 in my studies, I found out that the, the Old Testament was quoted roughly about 342 times in the New Testament. Roughly. About 342 times. Jesus quotes from it extensively. Even though Jesus' Jesus's use of the Old Testament is very interesting. Jesus, a lot of times, uses the Old Testament to up the ante. He uses the Old Testament to increase the heat of the law. <laughs> and I'm sure they're looking at him like, who are you to give us law? You know, Nazareth like you. Who are you to? Capital son. But a lot of times, you find the New Testament being, Old Testament being quoted in the New as a reference to fulfilled prophecy. Let me, shall I give you a few examples? Matthew, Matthew 1. Matthew 1. Oh, Father, thank you for clarity. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 22 and 20. 21 and 22. Matthew 1. 21 and 22. I just talked about that earlier in Isaiah. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Now Jesus was not called Emmanuel. You see why I took time to explain this to you? Isaiah 7.14. But by the time you piece the narrative together, you come to the conclusion that Isaiah 7.14 could only have been talking about Jesus. In that wider context. Make sense? So this is born, Jesus is born, so that it might be fulfilled what was written in Isaiah. Make sense? Are you here? Matthew 2, 17 and 18. Are we there? 
Then was fulfilled, this is when the sons, two years and under, were killed. Yeah, by Herod. And you know he was quoted in Jeremiah. This was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is Jeremiah 31 and 15. So again, we have to be careful that you don't go and pick a scripture and say, the Lord showed me that there's weeping in Ramah. Because that prophecy has been recorded as fulfilled. And what is fulfilled, sir, is no longer in force. Isn't that what we're contending with now for seven weeks? How can a prophecy that has been recorded as fulfilled be a prayer point to you today? Are you okay? Who's doing this to us? This was to fulfill what was written. So you see, you cannot just go and handle the old, it will wound you. <laughs> I'm not joking. Jeremiah 31. 14 and 15, I think, or 15 and 16. Give us some 14. Jeremiah 31, 14. I will satiate the souls of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. You come and say, brethren, I see weeping children. Rachel symbolizes, eh, eh, excuse, excuse me, excuse me, sir. Whatever she symbolizes has been fulfilled. So stop with the symbolisms already. Go back to Matthew 2, 17 and 18. I can do this all day. All, in fact, time, all day. I can spend a whole year, every day, picking scripture after scripture in the old and referencing it to its fulfillment in the new. I can do it all day, every day, 365. I think it's a joke when Paul says that they, they, they handle the word of God unskillfully. You must handle the word of God skillfully. It takes skill by the Spirit. It doesn't just happen. Then was fulfilled. Go, start from verse 14, 13 or 14. For context. Now. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Keep going. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, 15, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt. I cough up my son. I showed you that in UTG series 2. Next verse. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time in which he determined from the wise men. So it wasn't baby Jesus. 
in the manger. He calculated, when did these wise men appear to me? It's like two years ago now. Two years. So two years under. By the time we kill all the male ch- children, two years under, I would have gotten Jesus. TPT or message, any of these modern translations. When Herod realized he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. So he sent soldiers with orders to slaughter every baby boy, two years and younger, old and younger, in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding countryside. Can I see it now? Right there. He wasn't that major for more than a few days. There was only sensors that meant there was no room in the inn. 17 bucks in New King James. House for free. Now, these boys had been killed, then was fulfilled. Then was fulfilled. What was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, Enter Jeremiah 31 15. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her. Refusing to be comforted because they are. So you can't come and open a fresh page of pending prophecy over what has been fulfilled. Except where the rest of scripture, and I'll teach this another day, probably not today. Except where the rest of scripture establishes a pattern for dual prophecy. I just showed you one with Isaiah. And then when you study Matthew 23 and 24, you see where parts of prophecy refer to what happened in AD 70 and what parts of prophecy are referring to the end of the ages. But in order to arrive at that, you must study Daniel's vision. Marry it with John's vision in Revelation to come back and see what, what Jesus was saying meant something beyond what has happened. But the one thing by itself cannot establish it. And a man of God's encounter cannot make it doctrine. Do you understand this now? I'll teach it another day. Another day. You see what parts of scripture prophecy have been fulfilled. And what parts are pending. In whole or in part. But the one narrative by itself. cannot just You cannot just come up and say the Lord showed you. That Rachel is coming with her children. She's going to cry. You can't say that. There has to be irrefutable doctrinal scriptural proof to accept it as doctrine. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. No word of prophecy is by private interpretation. None, none. Peter said none. I know this has been fulfilled, but the Lord showed me that. Not when it has been. What is fulfilled, uncle, is set aside. Message said we put it on the shelf. So when we look at it, like I said to you a few weeks ago, it's like entering a data room in a library and going to annals or chronicles and seeing ah, this thing we're enjoying now. See when they said we will get it though. It's like going to read about the Wright brothers and how they began to first dream about flying a plane. 
it would make a good read. You are flying planes now, but if you are inquisitive, you will be like, wait, what is the mechanics surrounding aerodynamics and, and aviation? There's a couple of guys that try to fly this thing on, an, on, on a single engine a uh, hundred and... 30-ish years ago, I wonder what they had to say about their initial findings and their experiments when they were trying to bring about aviation. And then you go back and start to read for learning. Not for invention. And certainly not for application. Because aviation has left where it started when the Wright brothers wrote what they wrote. Now, when they wrote it, it was authority, but come on, check. Have you seen the Rolls-Royce engines that are powering the Boeing 737s and the 777s and the Airbuses? One engine weighing nearly 200 kg. One engine, Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce makes engines for Boeing and Airbus. Heavy things. Half of the engine is... Is heavier than the earliest planes. Yes, the earliest planes in the mid-air, you run out of petrol, you open your whiskey or gin bottle, pour it in the engine, your plane keeps flying. Oh, yes. Your engine could go off mid-air, you will stay suspended and defy gravity for a short while. And top up your little... Engine that is just like this boat engine. You know this boat engine? Yeah, just smaller engine. And right there, you just come out and put whiskey inside the engine. Start it the way you start this, your boat engine. And as your plane continue to go. Just make sure that you're going according to the wind. Because it was just a glorified kite. It was a kite with, 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 with machine. <laughs> so when you're going to read about aviation, you're not really about reading about aviation now to practice it. You're reading to learn the trajectory of what has been fulfilled. You can appreciate what led to what you now enjoy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah you can learn. There's much learning to come into in going back to the chronicles and seeing what brought about what you now have. So I learned from what was to see how we got to what we have and the context within which we can use what we have. That's what the scriptures are there for. That's how you handle the Old Testament. How did we get here? It's not, so, it's not okay that the blood of bulls and goats shall take about, can take away sin. Uncle, if you are wise, you go and study how they were suffering with the blood of bulls and, and goats. And then you'll appreciate the blood of Jesus and stop pleading it. <laughs> you don't understand the sacrifice of blood. That's why you are pleading the blood. Mm. You don't know how the blood works. That's the problem. So you are pleading blood that you have no right to plead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where does it say the believer can plead the blood of Jesus? One place that it says you can use the blood.
How many times did Passover happen? How many times did Passover happen? The rest of every year they commemorated Passover. They didn't put the blood on their doorposts every year. Read your Bible. Every year they marked the Passover. Because they passed over once. They didn't enter from Egypt to Israel every year. And the commemoration did not require blood. Because the angel of death did not come every year. He came once, no? Having access to the holiest by the blood, we have received access. The blood's job is done. Don't make it a talisman. But you know, we, we want fortification. Since you don't have feather tied with red cloth from the Babalao. You want to console yourself in the fact that ah, we can use the blood and fight. Show me where the blood was given for you to fight your enemies. Blood that saves cannot kill. And before you get uncomfortable and go, I don't like what this pastor say. Show me from the scriptures. Are we not in church? I will call a microphone. Luke 9 56, Jesus speaking. Luke 9 56, Jesus speaking. Luke 9 56, Jesus. I'm emphasizing Jesus speaking. Son of man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. Blood that saves. If God were going to kill, he would need another medium. He'd be contradicting himself, shooting himself in the foot by using what saves to kill. It means you cannot even be sure what side of the blood you are on. And what time of the day you are on what side of the blood. Depending on the mood of the blood. But you have come to the blood of sprinkling. Hebrews 12. That cries better things than the blood of Abel. Better things, not the same thing. Genesis 3. God told Cain, the blood of your brother cries vengeance from the ground. And Hebrews 12 says, you have come to blood that cries better things than the blood of Abel. If Abel's blood cries vengeance and Jesus' blood cries vengeance, then there's no difference between the blood of Jesus and the blood of Abel. Abel's blood could have as well saved us from our sins. After all, he was killed. After all, he was killed. He was murdered. He was martyred even. Because his sacrifice hey, hey, was acceptable. God told Cain. He said if you did good, would your sacrifice not have been acceptable like Abel? So if Abel's sacrifice was that acceptable, he could have as well saved us from our sin. And spare the hassle of Jesus. Jesus' blood cries better things. That means Abel's blood cried for a season what was not the mind of God. Because you see, the funny and sad thing that Christians miss is that God did not give Abel what his blood cried for. Abel's blood cried for vengeance. God put a mark on Cain. Say, if anybody touch Cain, I will kill him. Put it up there and 
Let's see Genesis 4. If anybody put a mark on Cain, I'll kill him. Ah, uh-uh, sir. But <laughs> Abel's blood say vengeance. And instead, you come and secure Cain. Not only did God not give Abel what his blood cried, instantly the blood that will speak was made clear. In that instance, God made clear, I will never hear the cry of Abel's blood. Because if God began to answer to Abel's blood, he would have opened the way to answering to different kinds of blood. But there would be only one blood that will speak to change the course of eternity on account of man and it will not be Abel's blood. So Abel's blood begins to cry. God says, I hear but I ain't going to do nothing about it. Because I'm not answering in my eternal will to Abel's blood. So he set aside Abel's blood immediately and did the opposite of what Abel's blood expected. Put a mark on Cain. Lest anyone should kill him, put that text back up. Genesis 4, next verse. And says, if anyone touches king, I will deal with him. Ah. Give us NLT. 15. See what God said. The Lord replied, no. For I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. God will leave Cain. Who failed and deal with the person that tried to judge Cain on behalf of God times seven. Hey, better hear word. He suddenly ceases to be about Cain. God doesn't even remember what Cain did because blood that saves does not kill. Touch Cain. I will deal with you times seven. But God, Cain is wrong. Is he you he wrong? Cain is out of line. Is he you that drew the line? Cain is out of order. Who determines order? And he set aside the crying blood of Abel. Because that's not the blood we have come to. Yes, sir. It is 12. We have come to the blood of sprinkling. That speaks better things than the blood of Abel. But you see, because you don't understand the workings of blood, you are misusing the blood even of Jesus. That's the problem. And so the scriptures then are there for you to understand the workings of the blood. So you can then apply that of Jesus correctly, lawfully. How do you apply the blood of Jesus lawfully? By understanding it has been applied. And therefore that you cannot actually. You are not the high priest. Only high priest dabbled with blood. So Lord, I, I plead the blood of Jesus. From where? 
Where do you see Israelites covering themselves with blood? Even Passover, it was their doorpost they covered. Only you soak yourself in the blood. Immerse yourself. Dip yourself. Then cover yourself. So what the Spirit of God inside you cannot do is blood on you that will do. This mystery of godliness, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, cannot save you. Christ in you cannot save you. It's blood on you that will save you. The temple, the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost in whom he also dwells. Cannot save you. It's blood that will cross on your forehead. Blood was shed to save you. Now you want to drink blood to be saved. When the blood price was paid for your sin, who drank it? Because you will not handle the scripture skillfully. Somebody just comes and tells you, I plead the blood. Just the way you say, Amen. You start pleading the blood. Now we're asking you now. You are angry that I'm saying you cannot plead the blood. But you cannot prove to me where it says you can plead it. Just because the person that led you to Christ pled it over you. <laughs> you know, bleed, bled, plead, pled. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> and then the person before them also pleaded the blood. And so on and so forth. So now you're upset because we're coming against centuries of institution that scriptures do not back up. Between the scriptures and your institution, what should you believe as true? What should you believe as true? The age of a lie does not make it true. No, the lie will never be so old that he now graduates to truth because he don't take it, has paid his wage, has paid his dues. Ah, the lie has tried now. Give it to him. After all these centuries of successfully being a lie, does it not deserve to be sanctified into truth? But you don't understand the workings of the blood. You don't understand the workings of salvation. You don't understand the workings of, and the high priest shall bring the goat. Leviticus 17. And shall lay his two hands on the goat. And shall confess to the goat, not to God, all the sins of Israel shall be spoken out on the goat. And God has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. You will confess the sin of all Israel on the goat. Then you will release the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes, it takes away with it your sin. John understood this and he looked at Jesus in John 1.29 and shouted, Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Sit down and be arguing. Scriptures are there for learning. That's the picture John drew his allusion from. See that goat. That goat that we're talking about that carries the seed after it has been laid upon him. That's the goat going there. 
But if you don't understand that picture in Levitical 17, you will not get it, what John is saying. You think you understand. It's not possible. And that's what, that's what made Israel stop. Hey, hey, a goat, a lamb that can take away sin and will not have to repeat it next year. He, they left John. <laughs> we are following this one. This one that takes away what other animals have been covering every year. Because this goat is every year. We now bring another lamb and then confess the sins of Israel and then send it forth. And this one takes away such that we will never see it again. That's what Paul meant when he says that God was reconciling the world to himself. Not... So you can't sit down there and say, I'm a New Testament believer. I'm a New Testament believer. I'm a son of God. I, the Old Testament is not valid. Hey! There's plenty learning. There's plenty learning. And like I said, I can do this all day, every day. All day, every day. I'll pick every, every text of scripture and show you it in the light of Christ. Every single one. I'm nowhere close to done. Nowhere. Nowhere close even where I thought I was going to end today. Not even. And all through. That's you must learn to handle the scripture skillfully. Certain prayers, you will not pray anymore. Before you pray them, go and check the history. How did this thing evolve? How did this doctrine evolve? How did it come about? Before you tell me to redeem the firstborn. Wait, who is the firstborn? What was he pointing to? Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That he will be conformed to the image of his son. The firstborn of all creation. All of us in the kingdom are second born. Yes, sir. We have one firstborn. He has been redeemed. What is it? What does it mean to be redeemed? To enter redemption? Hey. Is our redeemer because he, he, his soul has been redeemed. He has entered immortality. That's our firstborn. In his own order, first Corinthians 15. Christ, the what first fruit. So, who is the first fruit? How much do you pay inside? Why you paying every year for first fruit? Who is the first fruit? Christ is not puffs, it is day your Bible first. Christ, the first fruit. But if you don't study the scriptures, you will not understand what first fruit means. And if you're too sentimental, you not want to know because it goes against what you have always held so dear. And that's why you're the one that is causing them to prosper in their merchandise. Mm -hmm. Because it takes folly and ignorance to sponsor Christian merchandise. Yes, there has to be people that are willing to be foolish and ignorant for Christian merchandise to thrive. It is supply, demand that drives supply. If you starve off the demand, the supply will die. But you don't want to know. You don't want to read. And you don't want to be taught. And you see for me now, you know. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. He pointed who the Passover lamb is. The age of a lie doesn't make it true. So that by the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. 
We'll continue next week. But you receiving instruction. That's why on this side, the bulk of the prayer you will pray are prayers of thanksgiving. <laughs> the bulk of the prayers you pray as a New Testament believer are prayers of thanksgiving for what has been done that you have that you are receiving. Uh-huh. 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 When you're sick, pray thanksgiving for healing you have. By whose stripes you were healed. Are you following me now? You are in luck. Pray thanksgiving for supply. And that's when you will. Oh, I, I didn't get there. Because you, when it gets to the place where the Old Testament is able to build from Christ in you. You see how Old Testament scriptures are consistent with your New Testament reality. As I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Now he's seen beg bread. You think, ah, okay, that applies to me. Well, yes, but the seed being referred to there was not you. But you see where David also says, the young lions lack, and they that trust in the Lord shall lack no good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It sounds kind of like me. Because he says that my God shall supply all your needs. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so a cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. Yeah, that's kind of like my father. Does that make sense now? Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, that's Philippians 4, 13, that's what's up. But then you see where he says, but my God, I can run through a troop. But my God, I can leap over walls. You, you know what? That, that kind of sounds like me. Oh Lord, you have bruised me. We have seen that you have not forgiven us. Uh, no, no, that, 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 that doesn't sound like my father. I think that's the, 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 the Lamentations 3.42 or something like that. Very, very sad, sad, sad thing that, 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 that the prophet was saying. That doesn't represent God in the light of the New Testament. So by the time you know how to skillfully handle the word, ah, there's a richness your work with God comes into. There's a richness you come into. There's a confidence you come into. You're not shooting blanks. You're precise. You're right on target every single time. You're trusting God for something. You know exactly what to say. You know exactly what to say. You know exactly what to say. You're believing God for something. You know exactly what to say. You don't say, God, kill my enemies. Ah, Father, I thank you that I am delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for deliverance from wicked and unreasonable men. That's my reality. I, I shall not fear. The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What shall man do to me? And that's, 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 that's me right there. We have seen that you have not forgiven. No, that's, that's, that's not me. That's a prophet's moment of humanity. To show me that when you are going through a moment of humanity, don't talk like that. <laughs> Are you following me now? And for his word and for clarity, give him thanks and praise. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. 
For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at war the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.